Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 169 of the Speaking Club podcast. Okay, so I turn 50 this weekend. And even though I still feel like a 15-year-old inside, I've been reflecting on my three biggest takeaways for the last half a century. And I thought I'd share them with you, you lucky people. Um, Number one, find out what makes your heart beat faster and puts a smile on your face and go after it with everything you have. Number two, trust that whatever happens, the universe has everything rigged in your favour. And number three, it's not you, it's inconsistency in female clothes sizing. I started this podcast for two reasons, because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking, and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hey, hey! Lovely to be with you again. I hope you and your loved ones are okay and well. I'm recording this from the caravan, which is currently parked in Oxford, the city of Spires. And today I'm bringing you another best of. And I'm thrilled to be bringing this one back to the top of the pile. Because when it was originally released back in 2018, I think the show was probably in just like a handful of places. And now is listened to in 175 countries. And if you haven't heard this episode before, then you are in for a treat. And if you have, I promise you, you're still going to get so much gold from it. My guest on this best of show is the amazing Professor Richard Wiseman. This man literally has a finger in everything. He's a powerhouse in many different worlds, from entertainment to academia. He's a multiple best-selling author, renowned academic, global speaker and YouTube influencer, which really doesn't even scratch the surface of what he does. Suffice to say, he's a man of many talents. He started off in magic and still acts as a creative consultant to the world's best magicians and illusionists, TV shows and movies. And if he's not advising on them, he's presenting them. He is a professional. Professor of Psychology, and his research has been published across the world, alongside being a 12-time author of some of the most popular business psychology books today. And on top of all of this, he's spoken globally for the likes of Amazon, Google, and the Royal Society. He's got two YouTube channels, In 59 Seconds and Quirkology, that have millions of subscribers and hundreds of millions of views. He's described as one of the most innovative experimental psychologists in the world today. So he's clearly got lots to share on the secret of success and how to make your stuff, even science stuff, as he does, engaging. So enough of me babbling on. Let's hit the archives and hear from Richard Wiseman. Now, my guest today is a man who started off doing magic tricks to a few passers-by and now captivates thousands as a speaker, millions as an author, 
and hundreds of millions on his YouTube channel. He really lifts the curtain in this episode on how he puts things together, what he does to keep the audiences hooked, and he's really generous with tips about how to take your speaking forward. I know you'll love this, so let's crack on and listen to Professor Richard Wiseman. Chair of Public Understanding of Psychology, international best-selling author, speaker, and a mega YouTuber, welcome to the show, Professor Richard Wiseman. Uh, pleasure to be here. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Right, I've got so much to talk to you about. Such, you know, you've done such a lot of really interesting stuff. I understand you discovered magic at a young age, and I wondered if you could just take us briefly from that first discovery to kind of what you've ended up doing today. Oh, it's a very straight line, actually. So, yeah, I used to go and see my granddad at the weekends, and he performed. Uh, he only performed one trick. He wasn't a magician, but he performed one trick, which he'd learnt uh, during the war. It was a very good trick, which is you put your initials on a coin, he'd make you disappear, and then it'd appear in, inside a sort of uh, locked box that he had on the mantelpiece. And so I used to badger him for for sort of months to, to tell me how this trick was done and he did a very wise thing he said i'm not going to tell you how the trick's done but i'll tell you where the answer is the answer is in the public library and so i go along to the library i start to read about magic i get hooked on magic and it becomes mm-hmm. basically my life for a decade up until i'm, I'm sort of about 18 and so i become a member of the magic circle and i perform in Covent garden and go to america and so on and then i kind of I didn't fall out of love with magic, but I'm, I'm still very much involved in it. I fell out of love with the idea of being a professional magician. It, it's just a really hard way of, of earning a living. And so I started to look around the options, and by then I'd become interested in psychology because of uh, Dale Carnegie's work, How to Win Friends and Influence Influence, ah, okay. Which is a phenomenal book. It's still mm-hmm. one of the greatest books ever. And I'm, I'm a huge Carnegie fan because he wrote very extensively about public speaking and, and still the best books ever written on public speaking are uh, Carnegie's. Uh, and um, so I became interested in psychology. Uh, I got a background in magic and so started to, to um, uh, research psychology and then moved from uh, University College London up to University of Edinburgh because there was the Kersler Chair of Parapsychology, which looks at the paranormal, and they were looking for people to investigate mediums and psychics. They wanted somebody with a magic background because some of those people turn out to be a little less than uh, genuine. <laughs> and um, so I got into that and, and then from there moved down to University of Hertfordshire and, and do what I do now so it's a fairly straight line and and of course pretty much magical thinking underpins everything I do particularly in terms of talks and and the way in which they're structured so it, it's absolutely vital it's, it's the bedrock of everything that I do do you do you think I mean I guess it would be fair to say I don't know that that magicians exploit the flaws in our psychology I don't know is that fair to say yeah, they, they do, but in a kind of nice way. I mean, for our benefit. I mean, if you're secondhand uh, salespeople, the car salespeople uh, ex- exploit the same sort of flaws, but, but for their own use. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, magicians do it to entertain you, but they understand a lot about psychology. I, I think, actually, the, uh, the genuine lessons from magic uh, in terms of performance is that you have to walk on stage entertain people first of all but second you have to fool them and third you have to not tell them the secret and fourth they still have to like you even <laughs> though if you're not telling them what they want to know and and that's an amazing skill set and and it takes a very very long time to learn uh, so I, I think it's yeah it's a fascinating um, sort of tradition and art 
Yes, it's brilliant. I've had a magician on the show and I, I also draw some comparisons between magicians and comedians in terms of the art of misdirection. Mm. Oh, a big connection there. Brilliant. Okay. And so, I mean, a big factor of your work, I mean, you've written, I think it's six, seven books to date. It's actually um, ten. Ten, yeah, oh, is it? Yeah, so the, the memory book, which is coming out very soon, is uh, number nine. And I've just written uh, the, the mystery book, which I can't talk about, which comes out early next year, which is number 10. So, yes, I've, I've uh, climbed the hill 10 times. And wow. I'm wow. on the other side. And, and a big part of what you do is, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and just in the way that you do it, is making you know, that something which can be complicated, uh, complicated, accessible to people. Is that, is that intentional or is that just a, a, the way that you are bringing your whole background together? I guess I, my, my feeling is that everything is pretty simple. You know, quantum mechanics, whatever. If, if you understand it well enough, then you should be able to explain it to somebody who doesn't get it at all. So I'm a huge fan of uh, simplicity. Because often it's the answer to everything. And once somebody gives you that simple answer, you go, oh, my goodness, why didn't I think about that before? It's so obvious. But there mm -hmm. is a kind of genius to simplicity. And I, I think we, we underrate it. And, and actually, I, I think that anything can be simple, but you have to have a deep understanding in order to make it simple for other people to understand. So, yeah, I, I think everything should just be, you know, as, as simple as it needs to be and, and no simpler. Brilliant. And so, so you've got the books um, and then you do speaking as well. Have you had, was speaking a, a byproduct of the books or were you speaking before or has it just been always a part of, you know, what you do? Uh, I think performance has been a part of what I do and because uh, it's very helpful if you've got books to promote, if you can go out and, and speak about them. But no, I was doing speaking way before the books came along. So I was doing sort of science festivals and, and uh, other talks way before. I, that was something that I was doing even as an undergraduate. So because of my background in, in performance and magic. What from the performance experience that you've had um, do you take into your speaking to, to make those talks engaging and entertaining for the audiences? Oh, everything. Everything. I mean, it's, the, the, the two disciplines, uh, performance and speaking, I, I think are, are very, very similar, massive overlap. But of course, there's some differences there as well. So, with the, you know, if you're an actor on stage, you're clearly portraying somebody else most of the time. What speakers need to do is find a skin that they're very kind of comfortable in, that is very similar to themselves. Normally, it's not identical to themselves because you just wouldn't want a normal person on stage, as it were. But, but you have to be comfortable. And, and also, you have to be authentic. You know, that the, the, the audience have to believe that the person they're seeing on stage believes what they are saying and they are that person. Um, and and I, I think that authenticity is really hard. It's really hard. And, and it, obviously, it's not what actors do, because it's, it's a different skill set. Um, but I, I, I've never seen anyone learn that in less than a decade. I mean, it, it's a long, long process of being so comfortable on stage that you can be yourself. That's really interesting. You reckon 10 years to just to get to that sort of, you know, where, where you're comfortable with yourself, the audience believe in you. That's, that's an interesting, I've not heard someone say that before. Is oh, easily. I mean, the, the luck talk is now in its, what, 15th year. Um, and it's still getting changed. I mean, the opening hasn't changed in 15 years. The opening seven minutes is, is identical. 
Um, but still, every time I do it, there's small little changes you, you put in. These things are really, really hard uh, to do. And I think that's the biggest mistake that people make is that assume that, that you know, they can just stand up, just stand up on stage and just start talking. <laughs> and you kind of go, yeah, you can. Uh, in the same way that I can get a crayon and a, a piece of paper. Um, but, you know, strangely, it does take a little bit longer to, uh, to get this stuff to a point where people will pay you proper money and actually remain in the room uh, for their own, from their own sort of volition. And how do you, I mean, how, from, an in, from the inception of, of a talk, so that let's take the luck factor, um, and just for those people that, that don't, haven't come across this book before, I just want to quickly say, so it, I've, I've read it, it's, I've talked about it before to, to some of my audience, it's about, it's about success, isn't it? And the sort of factors and behavioural side of people that are more successful than other people. Is that a fair synopsis? Or I'm sure you're going to come up with a better one. Yeah, I mean, it's about the mindset of lucky people. It could be anything. I mean, I just recently been doing a talk on sleep. I mean, it's always the same process behind it. But yes, we can talk about the luck one. Yeah. So, yeah. So how, how do you go about, I mean, you've written the book. How yeah. do you go about putting the talk together? Uh, you throw the book away. <laughs> so the, the, the first thing you, you do, I mean, books are books and talks are talks. Yes. And they are not the same beasts in, in any way at all. So I, I think the audience need to be very, very comfortable from the, the get-go that the person on stage is in charge and they know their stuff and they know who is on stage, at least they think they do. And I think, uh, so the way I... I uh, just use a sort of a, a military, um, a military uh, sort of uh, scenario when I plan my talks, which is that before you can uh, move inland when you're invading a country, you you kind of got to get a beachhead. You, you've got to get this very solid base before you can start to move inland, and and that's what the start of the talk is. It's building that solid base, that trust, that relationship with the audience. And that can take anywhere between, I don't know, five minutes and, for me, 15. And I don't move off. I don't start to go inland before that's there. And if after 15 minutes, it's not there. That's a really, really rough night. I mean, I don't think it's ever happened, actually. You, you just have to start to move off. So the first part of the luck talk is nothing to do with luck at all. It's about me. It's about the audience. It's about mm -hmm. finding out who they are and then finding out who they think I am. And that's the first five minutes. That's the, so, so it's always the same, which is that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be giving a talk later on today. And, and you, you don't know who you're meeting and, and as an audience. And they, they will gel to a single person. That's the amazing thing about giving talks. You give them 3,000 people. That becomes a single entity. They become a single person. And you've got to try and find that person. And in the same way as you wouldn't have the same conversation with everyone you meet that would be ridiculous you know you, you you tailor the conversation to the person you're speaking to and that's what you're trying to do as a good speaker i think so is that first part of luck factor talk interactive at all you mentioned about or, or is it just you it I, I like interactivity uh yeah. so most of my talks about people doing things rather than just sitting there and listening to me mm -hmm. um but yes it's so the first part of it is uh so, so I think what is interesting, change is interesting. Anything static isn't interesting. And so the opening, the, the opening line of the, the, the luck talk is, oh, for the next whatever it is, 50 minutes, I'm going to be talking about the psychology of luck. So that's, they know where they are. Yeah. And, they, and, and I think expectations at that point are reasonably low. You've got a professor, <laughs> you've got this guy that's just going to talk about 50 minutes, and about luck. 
And then the next slide is, but, for, but before we get to that, now I think that's quite a setup. Before, oh, okay, right. Uh, I didn't start my working life as a psychologist. I started as a magician. And by that point, I've taken out a handkerchief and I'm about to make it disappear. Uh, okay. Now, I don't believe there's anyone in the room that isn't watching at that point because we've gone from this sort of, oh, okay, tedious academic to now he's a magician. Now he's going to do magic tricks. <laughs> and and I, was, well, I don't know quite where we are. But he seems to be very um, confident. He seems to know what he's doing. And, and then it, it unfolds from there. But those first two minutes are absolutely vital. And, and, you know, where you look and, and, and you give out this sort of impression of being vulnerable, but at the same point, knowing what you're doing, that yeah. stuff is really, really important, I think. I mean, in a sense, you are lucky, <laughs> using that word, because you have I'm gonna, I'm gonna, the, the magic and the, the, that sort of shtick. I guess are there are other professors out there. I mean, obviously, we know with Ken Robinson's got one of the most viewed TED Talks, you know, ever. And and I think you know from for me his the reason he's so engaging he uses humour is his sort of shtick I think he gets a lot of laughs but it, you're it, it, for those professors or technical people out there that perhaps haven't got the magic there's stuff that they can I mean they can still use the same you know framing devices perhaps there's something they're passionate about or in the same way do you think or or do they need to develop something that is unusual? Oh no, they don't need to do that. They need to be themselves. Uh, and and they need to talk authentically about what they're they're doing and interest them. And I, I guess change what you're talking about. I mean, um, yeah, I should say also I'm not a fan of TED. I, I loathe TED talks. I think TED and TEDx the worst thing that's ever happened to speaking. <laughs> Why? Just because because it's made it into a sausage factory. Uh, Everyone comes on and goes. When I was eight, I was fascinated by, and yeah. now as an adult, I wonder if. And all this stuff, and you think, no, for goodness sake, please, I hear one more corporate person who's fascinated <laughs> by. Um, so, you know, talk like Ted, huge book. I understand why they did it. Fantastic idea. If I'd had the idea, I'd have done it as well. Um, but uh, terrible. It's, it, it's made speaking painting by numbers. Homogenized, you mean? Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. so now what everyone's looking for, uh, I, I mean, none of my stuff, none of my talks are online at all. You won't be able to find any of them. And people are now actively looking for speakers that are not on TED uh, because they just feel they've heard that shtick so many times. times. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think other people just need to be authentic. Personal experience is very important. I also think... So I, I was interviewing um, a very, very experienced magician. I won't say who it was, but some, somebody very experienced. And I was going through their photo album. There's a picture of them when they were eight and doing magic. And I said, was oh, this your very first performance? And they said, oh, no, 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 I was, I was showing off. And I said, what's the difference? <laughs> they said, showing off is when you're on stage for your own benefit. Performing uh -huh. is when you're on stage for the benefit of the audience. Interesting. So the first thing you've got to think of is why would anyone be interested in me? Why should they give me half an hour, 50 minutes, whatever it is of their time? How can I make that the most interesting experience for them? This should never be about you. This should always be about your audience because they're the ones that are putting their hands in their pockets and giving you their hard-earned cash. So, so forget about yourself, bury the ego, and think, okay, what, what, what will interest them? Um, and, and, of course, if it's authentic and passionate and all of that, that's, that's great because that's what interests people. But, but think about your audience, not about yourself.
Absolutely. And do you use much humour in your stuff? I know you've had your own Edinburgh shows that, that have been funny. Is that is that something that plays a big part? Yeah, in it, it does. It does. We have to be very careful. Humour is so tricky, so tricksy, because um, you can undercut the point and, and so on. Um, I'm trying to think of a sort of good example from the luck talk, I think. Yeah, so, so they're... they're um, so this is where mag so, so magicians are massive control freaks, like you would not believe, <laughs> uh, for all sorts of reasons. So, so when I make the handkerchief disappear at the beginning of the um, of the talk, that can be played in two ways. You either play it what's called out, which is tanar, or you play it what's called in, which is that you try not to get a response from the audience. And what's unusual about the way I do it is it's, play, it's the first trick and it's played in mm -hmm. so, I, so what you've heard is uh, 50 minutes to talk about psychology of luck before that uh, a little bit about my background started working life as a magician and I thought it'd be fun to try some magic by that point on the word magic the handkerchief has vanished and it's played in that means there's almost no chance of the audience responding they will not respond and that then gives me the beat to go, but you're right to keep the excitement to a manageable level, which is a funny line. Yeah. And it tells the audience that when they don't respond, I've got a funny line there. They don't realize they've been manipulated into not responding. Um, and so it looks like there's this guy on stage who can handle us not responding in this slightly embarrassing situation. And that line I think came in after doing the talk for about two years I think and it's been in there for the last 12 13 years and it's the key pivotal line uh, and, it, and, it, and it entirely works because there is no response to that trick because it's played in and and so that's what I love about speaking is the absolute fine grain kind of nitty grittiness of it and it sounds to me like you're not ever complacent like you're continually looking for ways to get better and yeah. develop your craft yeah, totally. Otherwise, it's just a boring job on earth. Yeah. So, so <laughs> you know, you make those tiny little changes and, and most of them don't work. I mean, most of the tiny changes that you think are a great idea when you're sort of standing in the wings or on the bus home or whatever turn out to be a disaster. And I always think the best bits are actually probably developed under fire when, when you're on stage and something happens. Uh, so I had line, and this is a fairly recent line, it's probably about only five or six years old. I said to somebody in the audience, would you mind helping out with this next bit? And they stood up, not unreasonably actually, they stood up and came to the side of the stage. I didn't see them do that. And then suddenly realized at the side of the stage. And I went, no, actually, sorry, you can sit back down. Fundamentally, this is all about me. <laughs> Which is a good line. And so now I use that line towards the top of the talk. It was developed under fire, but I actually use it in a slightly different way. So, so yeah, these things, you know, they change and, and, and you know, your material becomes your best friend. And, you know, you've got to do it so much. You've got to love it because otherwise it's just terrible. I mean, I'd, I'd give that talk, that talk, well, at least once a week. Um, no. So... You know, a night school is uh, tomorrow. Uh, so you've got to love this stuff. And, you, and also, the other thing I talk about when I talk about how to give talks is the illusion of spontaneity. Yes. You, the audience must believe that is the first time you said those lines and that the first time you, you've put this talk together for them. They have to believe that. And 
there's a few bits that, that break that spell and I've never got them right, you know, where you kind of go, oh, you're the first audience to laugh at that joke and all those sorts of lines. And I never like them because the audience suddenly go, oh, oh, I didn't realize you'd done that joke before. And I've never found a way of framing those sorts of lines in a comfortable way. So I, I always just go with the idea that this is the first time I've done it, essentially. It is, and it goes back to that authenticity thing. But it's try. It's so again, comedians do this so well, which is making it sound like it's off the cuff, yeah. despite the fact that it's been honed and practiced and scripted, and even heckling responses and all that good stuff. It's all planned. Yeah. But you're absolutely right, making it sound natural and conversational and the first time. Yeah, absolutely. And it's very weird because I, I don't use notes. I don't use a script per se. Uh, we're actors because tend to like that that kind of stuff mm. um and and so my only notes really are my powerpoint uh which i have blocked and and so there are blocks on the powerpoint of about sort of six or seven minutes and i'm choosing the blocks to go into during the talk so if it's a 40 minute talk i know roughly how many blocks i need and depending on how the audience responding will tell me which block to go to so you can switch in and out depending on, on where That's you right. are and what you're brilliant. Okay. Yeah, which is why I need the computer on stage with me. Loads of big venues nowadays hate that, but I've got to have it because I'm switching blocks during the actual talk. But that it must mean that you're so comfortable with it that you can play with it to suit the audience, though. Yeah, that's right. That's the conversation yeah. you're having. And then yeah. you're just trying to find intro lines between those blocks and, and that change the pace. So if you get an audience... Uh, in fact, it happened about two weeks ago that were just such an up audience. I mean, they were so up that you, you to, to brought them back, to brought them down would have been a really bad thing. And so they had, the talk had to bang out 30 minutes of kind of energy, which I normally wouldn't do. Normally there's sort of moments of when you come down and quiet and so on. And so all those kind of high energy blocks just got used up straight away and that became the talk. First time I'd ever done it, actually. Uh, mm. Normally there's moments when you bring in and it becomes much quieter. Yeah. But this was an audience that had been drinking a little bit beforehand <laughs> and there was no way you wanted to bring the energy down because it was so up from the, the start. Excellent. And, and how do you get the balance right between educating and entertaining? Because obviously there are serious messages to your work that you yeah. want to get across. Um, how do you get that right? I, well, I think the talks are terrible for getting information about uh, across. Terrible, terrible, terrible. So I think, you know, if you, I can remember I worked with some of the people that put Horizon together, the BBC Two documentaries, and they, they said you can get people to remember roughly three things yeah. at best. Yeah. And that's the same with the talk. So you can motivate them to go and find out more about sleep or luck, uh, or there's probably three messages at best you can get across. And I think... The way to do that is with silence and with staging. So we might be having fun, 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 and then bang, in comes this message that you didn't see coming. A bit like a car hitting you from the side, and then suddenly you're back to the fun again. And, and, and for me, that technique will work. Uh, so, you know, you might go over sort of a couple of fun stories about luck, and then it's a sudden piece of, but the way in which you think about luck will dictate the whole of your life, everything about you. Before I tell you about that, let me tell and, and so you've got that moment there, and that's one of the key messages. So I know the three key messages that I'm trying to hit. Um, the other weird thing is. They're on the edge of their seats at that point. <laughs> well, yeah, you're just, because there's only three moments in the talk, you know, however long it is. One of the things that I noticed, um, I started doing this. Uh, we, did it in, we did a show called Theatre of Science in 2002, and uh, I wanted them to remember this video clip 
for particular reasons. And we're joking about how to get an audience to remember stuff. And I said, I'm just going to say to them, if you only remember one thing from this talk, remember this. And then we did. And that line has, is enormously effective. Because I've had people come back five, ten years after a talk and go, I remember that bit. But they'd forgotten. They'd been told to remember it. So wow. actually just telling people, this is the moment, this is the message, I think is quite effective. Wow, that's, that's brilliant. I should take that on board for, for my talks. And, and where do you get the ideas for, for your research? I know that you, you're very sceptical. And I, I guess, is that something that you've developed or, or you've naturally always been sceptical? And I know you, you, you've done a lot with sort of paranormal and, and debunking stuff around that but is that something is that what is that what directs your your next piece of work or how does that work um i I, i've got a very sort of tigger mentality to ideas (laughs) i I jump around a lot so if you look at my browsing history on the other way it must look utterly bizarre um so I, i know a lot of things and I think creativity is just putting things together in unusual ways. So I think I just choose topics I find interesting. I hope other people will find interesting. Um, but also, if you just sort of know a lot of stuff in psychology or whatever area your areas, you'll find you can combine things in a more interesting way. So I guess, you know, it's, I can remember when we did 59, which is the sort of best-selling of the, the books, um, uh, that... I, I knew there was a lot of psychology out there, which was kind of quick fixes, you know, things you can do very quickly. Yeah, it makes yourself feel happy. You push a smile on your face and so on. Yeah. But I could never find the wraparound, as it's called in a book. I could never find the thing that made it all gel together. And then I went out for lunch with a friend of mine. She said, I'm not feeling too great. You understand about happiness. Um, how do I get happy? I started to explain. And she said, look, I'm really busy. Um, can you just cut to the chase, basically? <laughs> I said, how long have you got? She said, about a minute. And I thought, I think there's a lot of people that want to change within a minute. And that was became the wraparound for all of that psychology. Wow. And it, became, it was originally called, called 60 Seconds. Then I gave, gave a school's talk for about um, two weeks before we published. And I said, I'm doing this book, so 60 Seconds, things you can do in less than a minute to uh, change your life kid put up his hand and said if it's less than a minute it should be 59 seconds and I thought that's a way better title yeah. and went back to the publisher we had a massive meeting because to change a book's title two weeks before you publish is, is, is disastrous potentially but we changed to 59 it became a big thing so these things you know, ideas just you know they just come they come around they're out there they're in the ether and was, was it in that book that you found out this Yale study was completely fabricated? I was yeah. shocked. I was like, because that's, it's the Yale study and I've read it in so many, I love reading books and so many books. Is it the one where they say 3% are, are made goals and those 3% had outperformed the rest of yeah. the class simply because they'd done goals? Yeah, it was, it was around the time of the writing the book, somebody from one of the magazines, I think it was Fast Company magazine, started to go, hold on a second, I can't find this um, study. So I said, oh, it's easy for me to access academics, let me have a go, and, and couldn't find it. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of rubbish psychology out there. Uh, because most, uh, I mean, in part because there's you know, a lot of people just sort of spouting rubbish about psychology. Um, but there's a lot of rubbish psychology within psychology as well, academic psychology. <laughs> Uh, you know, so yeah, that, that was one thing we did was a kind of myth-busting element to it. Was it within fifty-nine? I think. 
gosh wow and then and then quirkology was another one I was curious about because it was it was this the one where you did the world's funniest joke yeah we'd done that before that was called laugh lab and then it was reported in quirkology oh. um so quirkology came out um so I was in California doing some talks and uh Michael Shermer a skeptic I was there and he was talking about freakonomics which had just come out a huge book Yes, and uh, he said, you should do one for psychology. And I said, oh, I don't know. And we, he drove me to the airport. And I said, I suppose it'd be about quirky psychology. And that's where I said the word quirkology. Mm-hmm. And that's a great wraparound. It's a really good wraparound. And so that book got picked up, I think, within about two weeks of that conversation. And at the airport, I'd got a, like a Dan Brown novel or something. And on the back cover, I just wrote down all the topics, uh, which became the chapter titles. And that back cover is upstairs uh, in my uh, uh, office um, because it's, it's the, the thing that, that then launched the entire book. So, yeah, wow. that's, that's where ideas come from. They come from talking to people and, and, and realizing that someone said something interesting that you can pick up on or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, so you're, and the Quirkology, I just want to briefly mention the Quirkology YouTube channel. It's got over 2 million subscribers. That's yes. amazing. It's half, half. It's it's five hundred million views. Wow. So yeah, it's and that's just videos made in my front room um, with me messing around about illusions and bets and stuff like that. Yeah. Excellent. So uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well, so people can go and check that one out. And of, of all the things that you do, the writing, the the researching, the the magic, the psychology, performing. What do you, which gives you most pleasure? Um, probably when a talk goes well, I, that, that feels, I think, you feel most connected to your audience. Uh, writing books, I mean, I've, I've finished the, the, the ones going to come out next year, um, I think three days ago, four days ago. So, yeah, they're hard. That's hard work. That is hard work. Um, you know, that that's... Those things are tough. I don't enjoy the writing of those. So I think I guess speak, I enjoy ideas. You know, I, 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 I'm friends with ideas people, and that, that gives me most joy is just sitting around somebody going, "We've got this problem," and then trying to come up with an idea that no one's had before to solve that problem. And uh, magic is 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 phenomenal for that. So there's a friend of mine actually. Uh, there's a magic trick that goes back at least 100 years. And in uh, 100 years, a lot of very bright people have tried to improve that trick. And he's just come up with a brilliant innovation, which for 100 years no one's thought of. Wow. And it just reminds you that all this stuff is out there to be thought of. And, and so I guess I enjoy coming up you know, with ideas. So I've been doing a lot of stuff working with um, uh, West End shows and, and putting magic into to West End shows. And that's been a lot of fun because, you know, they're – you're trying to find the idea that solves their problem for them. So I, I guess idea generation is, is most fun. Excellent. And are you up at Edinburgh this year, Richard, at all? Uh, I mean, no, I'm not actually because I'm going to be in America for the first half of August and oh. then uh, back in Edinburgh for the second. But um, so I, I'll be physically in Edinburgh, but not doing a, a show. Not a show this year. Okay. And so, and just the, the memory book, is that out? The new, sort of the newish book? The newish, which will have to improve your memory, which is hilarious because I have the worst memory ever. 
<laughs> so I'm terrified about doing any promotional work for this uh, book. So basically, it's written by uh, by somebody who's got a terrible memory for people with terrible memories. Uh, it's a little book. It's called How to Remember Everything. Although genuinely, I forgot the title the other day when I was talking about it. So that's not good as <laughs> lot. And it's all the sort of tricks and um, uh, sort of twists and so on that you can use to improve your memory. They're really simple, uh, super, super simple. So it was quite a lot of fun to, uh, to write. Uh, so that comes out, I think, middle of May and has a magic mm-hmm. trick built into it. Which, which Excellent. Cool. And that'll be available on Amazon. I'll, I'll try and get a link to that. I hope that so. Yeah, yes. cool. yeah, it'd be terrible if it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, does it have memory palaces in it? And that, that's a, a... Uh, yeah, no, it doesn't actually, because it's been so well covered. And also, I find them such hard work. I think, oh, for goodness' sake, just write it down on a piece of paper. I was uh, say. So that's. I was really you're going to devote half your life to all these mental images. So no, it's it's super super simple things uh, that, um, that are in there. So um, yeah, that'd be exciting. Excellent. Okay, cool. Well, thanks. Thanks for all that. Now I've got some standard questions, which I always ask, mm. um, which I'm going to ask you before I let you go, if that's okay. Sure. Um, what's the best thing speaking has done for you? I think it opens so many doors. Um, yeah, it's it's just great that that you can share your ideas, that you can connect with people, um, and it opens a million doors. So I would say get out there and do it. But no, you know it's a craft, and to have the same approach to it as you would to any other craft. You know, don't expect to become a great artist or great potter overnight. It takes a very long time. Uh, so keep on doing the same thing again and again and again. And and record. Obviously, you say that a lot of the stuff that you've picked up is when you've actually been doing the talks and record it as well, I would have thought. I've never, ever listened to one of my talks back, so no, I've never recorded a talk. You just relied on your memory. Yeah, I mean, well, you know it. You're in the moment. You're, yeah, that's right. I'm just completely <laughs> deluding myself. No, I've never, ever watched myself. Uh, oh. so, or never heard myself even. Uh, so, no, I think you're in the moment and, and you're thinking, oh, that didn't go so well if I'd have phrased that differently. But that, that comes a bit from doing it so much. I know it's difficult if you're only speaking once a month or something to do that. So, you know, get as much stage time as you can. Just get out there, any opportunity, and, and, and learn the skill set that is speaking. And, and so are you speaking maybe, what, two to three times a week? Oh, yeah. More? And yeah. Uh, probably about twice. Depends. Um, if you're out promoting a book, you might be doing 20 a week. I mean, that wouldn't be an unusual um, number to be doing, but no, about sort of twice a week would be my normal um, sort of lot, yeah. Brilliant. Um, and second question, what, what's been the worst thing that's happened to you while you've been speaking, you know, that nightmare gig? Is, has there been one for you? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, worst thing, I had a computer collapse on me. That was very bad. So now I've always got a backup machine in the bag um trying to think what's the worst um no i think that's probably the worst thing so the good thing about speaking unlike magic so if you're a magician a you have to fool the audience and b if you're a comedy magician you have to be quite funny yeah. and if you're a comedian you have to be quite funny and if the audience aren't laughing you're dying on your ass, and that's a terrible experience. <laughs> yeah. As a speaker, you can always fall into, this isn't funny uh, or entertaining, it's just interesting. So, you know, in terms of the worst thing that's ever going to happen is you're going to talk where people aren't very energised and you just kind of got through it. But you shouldn't really die on your ass because, you know, the, 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 yeah, sort of it's not the same as comedy where you're trying to be funny and you can hear that the audience aren't going with it. 
the expectations are a bit lower, so you can internalize. Well, they're different. Yeah. They're different. Yeah. You know, they're, they're they're expecting a talk. Um, so yeah, th- but you know, technically things have gone wrong, and that is very annoying. But did, how did you get out of it? Was it was it all yeah, good? Yeah, I just I just switched to a, a, a sort of non AV version of the talk, but it wasn't great. My talks are very very visual in terms of slides. Uh, and also, that's reminding me what I'm supposed to be talking about. So, um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the best gig ever. Um, but, you know, that's AV. It's got better over the years, but, you know, it's going to happen from time to time. Yeah, yeah, cool. Okay, brilliant. Um, the last question. There is a book called Think and Grow Rich by a chap called Napoleon Hill. Mm-hmm. And in that book, he has uh, almost like a fantasy mastermind. If you could choose three people, they can be alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, to be your mentors, who would you choose and why? Uh, about three. I would go with Carnegie, number one. Carnegie's a genius. Mm. And the, the, in fact, the reason why uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, such a good book, is it's the transcripts of his talk. So he went around and gave that talk for about a decade before he wrote that book. Oh. And so that's why it's such a good uh, read. It's, 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 read, it's designed to be read out, as it were. So Carnegie would definitely be there, and his book on public speaking is, is phenomenal, years ahead of its time, and way better than the, the TED ideas. Uh, so that'd be one. I'd go with Stanley Milgram, the psychologist who did the electric shock experiments, but he also did some fascinating work over and above that, which is lovely. So he'd be my number two. I'd probably go with the magician for number three, and I don't know who, who would I choose magic-wise. Um, I think in terms of just being good company, interesting company, I think Teller out of Penn and Teller is probably okay. the most knowledgeable magician in the world. Um, and, yeah, he, that, that would be an interesting dinner party. Have you met? Uh, oh, yeah, no, I know Teller very well. Yeah, yeah, we've, I've consulted with Penn and Teller. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. So when you say consulted, you mean help them with their shows or? Yeah, magic consult. Well, uh, so the color changing card trick, which was the very first YouTube video we did, um, way before YouTube was popular, uh, became hugely viral overnight. It was a very, very weird experience. And then they used that as the inspiration for one of their big Vegas pieces. So we had conversations about it. And since then, I've got to know them and we um, sort of worked together on a couple of potential projects. Brilliant. Excellent. Thank you for that. So before we wrap up, just to while I've got you here, what would be your top three tips for speakers to make their content engaging and entertaining? Do it a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's like anything. You just, you're not going to learn by sitting on your backside writing stuff thinking this will be funny. <laughs> you learn by standing in front of people finding out that it isn't funny or interesting. So one, do it a lot. B, I think, assume people... I tell you why street theatre is such a good uh, training ground is people can walk away and so if you've got a bad street show, and I used to work Covent Garden, you'd start and then you see your audience literally walk away. It's soul-destroying. <laughs> and I think the same as with talks. It's, you know, they're, they're captured in the, in, the, in the rooms. They can't walk away often. But I imagine they're paying you five pounds for every minute. So mm-hmm. every minute you have to do something interesting and promise that the next minute will be even more interesting. So, so uh, don't waste their time. Because if you've got an audience of, I don't know, a couple of hundred, think how much time that is. If it's an hour, it's a couple of hundred hours of time you're wasting. So, you know, every moment counts. So I think that's, that's really important. Um, and 
I think the important thing is to try and be try and be yourself, but that is the hardest thing. We all become someone else when we walk on stage and developing that character that's an on-stage character that, that is the right kind of balance of who you are off stage and yet is slightly different. It's really, really tough, really tough. But but you know, keep at it and it will come and eventually you'll find out suddenly you are comfortable on stage being this person. And you know, um there are there are very few great young speakers there are very very few and there's a reason for that you know you don't get great speakers under the age of 30 you don't get many under the age of 40 so you know it's just it doesn't happen you get great performers you don't get great speakers and that's because they've 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 put in the time they've paid the price of admission um to use that phrase uh, which is you just do it again and again and again until you can be yourself in this really weird scenario. Brilliant. Thank you. They're, they're amazing tips. Thank you so much. Excellent. So people can check out Quirkology. Any, any other YouTube channels you have that they can check out? Uh, well, there's one called In 59 Seconds, which came out of the 59 Seconds book, uh, which is a bit more straightforward, which are things you can uh, learn in less than a minute that will change your life. Um, so, yeah, they can look at that stuff. Uh, they can't look at me doing talks, actually, unless they come along to a live event. But I am a huge fan of live stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm one of the directors of the Edinburgh Festival. So that, uh, the reason for that is because, you know, we need to get people you know, out of their, their, their rooms and, and into uh, theatres because, you know, live stuff is the most magical thing. Um, and I, I kind of, for me, it's someone asked me about sort of five years ago what, what analogy is the best one for talk. And I think it's like blowing a soap bubble. But every single one of those bubbles are kind of the same, but everyone's different. Yeah. And that's what you're trying to do. It's the same talk, but it's different. You're trying to produce this magical thing for that audience in that moment, and it will be gone. That, that bubble will be popped the moment you end that talk and it will never be the same again. But each time you're trying to get that little magical thing happening. And you can only do that if you all work together. And, and, and that's what you're all trying to do. You're trying to get the room to come together to produce this lovely magical thing that vanishes until you do it the next time. I love that. I always do think it's like a dance between the audience and the speaker. And yes. in any sort of performance, it's got one doesn't work without the other. And, you know, coming together and, and making something beautiful in the moment is exactly, exactly right. Excellent. And, and where should people check you out? Web, uh, website? Yes, richardwiseman.com, uh, which has just been revamped uh, yesterday. So uh, all my stuff is on there if they want to. But, but uh, more importantly, if they hear I'm around, uh, come and see me, come and say hello afterwards. And um, yeah, be nice. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you again so much for your time. I shall look forward to coming to see you talk live and experience the bubble myself. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Okay. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. I went on Richard's website to get an update on what he's doing, and I've never seen someone so prolific. He is an absolute master at making content sexy and interesting, and he's completely authentic. He certainly doesn't take any prisoners with his views and opinions. Do go and have a look at his website. Everything about him is in the show notes. Check out his books, look at his YouTube channel, and also maybe look him up on Twitter too. But don't blame me if you get stuck there for hours when you get pulled down a rabbit hole of all of his wonderful stuff. Now, talking of sexy content, 
If you're struggling to grow your business or you hate the idea of selling and you want to find a more authentic way to attract and convert new customers, then my free masterclass could be right up your street. The three-step formula for selling when you speak takes you through the ABC of creating powerful, authentic talks that sell without selling. It's going to help you increase your audience engagement on your webinars, podcasts, workshops, videos, and of course, on stage. And that's going to be really important now the world is opening up again so that you can get more sales, subscribers, followers, and speaking opportunities. And if that's floating your boat, if you're interested in that and you want to grab your spot, then go to thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass and you can register there. There you go. Thank you so much for joining me. And if you do get value from The Speaking Club, then I'd be so grateful if you could leave a rating or review over at ratethispodcast.com slash TSC. And I will be back next week. And who knows where I'll be in the country. I would definitely be in the UK because you're not allowed out at the moment. So that's one thing is guaranteed. But in the meantime, as ever, don't you forget to go out Grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye-bye. If you're listening to this show because you want to grow your audience and business through speaking, then you made the right choice because this podcast is the vehicle that can help you get there. But I wanted to tell you about something that will get you there even faster. Something that incorporates all the hacks, tools and tips I've picked up from my years in comedy, theatre, marketing and coaching. And that's my live workshop on the three-step formula for selling when you speak. How to go from struggling to stand out and engage to connecting and converting with authenticity and confidence. This is for you if you're a heart-centered author, coach, consultant or online entrepreneur and you feel like you're not able to have the impact and results you want because your voice and message are not reaching or engaging your audience. This free workshop takes you through the ABC of creating powerful, authentic talks that sell without selling. It will help you increase your audience engagement on your webinars, podcasts, workshops, videos, and of course on stage, so that you get more sales, subscribers, followers, and speaking opportunities. And it's completely free. But places are limited. If you want to secure yours, then just go to saraharcher.co.uk slash masterclass to pick the time and date that work for you.